Vic, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm good, James. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah. You and I were presenting a webinar for the Media Team Academy recently, which was about making the most of broadcast media opportunities. But we had far too many questions from the audience, didn't we? Yeah, we had quite a few left over to answer. We're going to whiz through some of those questions. So no particular order. So let's just jump in and whiz through them, shall we? Yeah, good idea. So the first question is from Francesca. And she asks, how can I make my spokespeople stand out in a crowded market? What a question, Francesca. Yeah. Mm. Well, we went through quite a bit of this when we did the webinar, of course. But... um, Preparation is absolutely key. That's where I would start. And there's all those Mm. different elements of preparation that we talked about, all those little boxes that you can tick, that acronym TRUTH that really works when it comes to preparing with your spokesperson, thinking about stories that are topical and trending and relevant to your audience. And obviously think Mm. about your audience and who that is and what they want to hear. Think about what's unusual or even unique about your company, about your spokesperson even. Uh, think about the troublesome, tricky questions you might get asked. And most importantly, in my eyes, is to get that human interest in, get that case study to support what your spokesperson is going to be saying. So what you're saying there really is that a lot of the work in making your spokesperson stand out comes before you've even secured that interview or before you've even put that spokesperson up. But of course, the other advice that we would say is that once you've done all of that legwork and you've identified your audience and you've worked on your message and you've got your case study that you actually get some professional training for your spokesperson yeah so Um, you know how both of you to use your time and you know we've done i've done sessions with delegates and they've told me they don't actually get to prepare face to face with their spokesperson and that's so important that you actually sit face to face and have a chat so that you can work together on preparing Uh, all the the demographics that you might need about the audience that you're going to be facing, finding out about the interview itself, you know, asking all those questions like how long will it be, what time of day, when will it be broadcast, am I the only person, will there be other guests, will there be a and a will there be a phone-in, all these things that people sometimes forget to ask on behalf of their spokespeople. And I think the other important reason why you need to build that relationship with your spokesperson is because then you can adapt your messaging for the spokesperson. And the other piece just around that is really make sure that your spokespeople are taking ownership of the messaging. Make sure they're putting it into their own words and not just reading a corporate message. I appreciate you've got to go through sign off when you work for a large organization on a message and that might have to go up the ranks. But when it comes back down again, make sure you have the flexibility to be able to change that and to put that into someone's words you know the spokesperson to put it into their own words so they come across as humans yeah such a good um, point or as the buzzword is authentic authentic genuine yeah um, and you said there james about reading the reading word and uh, a lot of spokespeople will mm. try and read a script uh, which never works it just the energy disappears the authenticity disappears it sounds red so much better if they can just have a conversation with the journalist yeah. or the presenter but that comes down to confidence doesn't it and i'm sure we're going to go on to other things here but that comes down to confidence it comes down to practice it also comes down to having the skills to be able to control that conversation and the techniques to be able to respond to unwanted questions for example and that is ultimately what media training would help you with so No surprise to hear that we're advocates of media training. 
and lots of practice. Yeah, practice out loud. Doesn't matter what the neighbours think or the dogs or the children. Practice out loud. <laughs> Jenny has asked, is there worth in putting spokespeople and case studies forward for broadcast opportunities when the reporter doesn't mention your name or the name of the organisation? What are your thoughts on that, Vic? Reporters do go out of their way not to give you free advertising. That's true. But probably what will happen is that there'll be a link that the presenter or someone else might read that goes before the interview and that will almost inevitably mention your organisation's name. And, you know, even if your name somehow does get missed off, it's not the end of the world because you've built a bridge with that media organisation and so maybe next time the name will get mentioned. Uh, but there'll still be a great opportunity for you, I think, because your spokesperson will be talking about your organisation and carrying that important message. If the message is strong enough, then often you won't need the name because what you're trying to do is you know, get the message out there, trying to get some action out of your audience or make people aware of different things. So always worth doing, I would argue. And also it's worth bearing in mind that although you might be edited out in, let's say, a TV broadcast, that interview could actually be used online as well it might be longer there so you might get name checked there but it also might be written up by other news organizations outlets magazines trade magazines things like that so and then you're more likely to get a mention at that point i would argue definitely and if your spokesperson mentions the name of the company and say it's a a live interview then that will get heard because it's a live interview just the power of name checking i guess isn't it But if you can get your name into a soundbite that you're confident isn't going to be edited, then that's going to work really well. So, again, it boils down to having a really succinct and powerful message that's going to resonate with that audience and then getting your name in there, your company name in there. So there's things you can do to kind of sway it in your favour. But ultimately, you're not in control of the whole editing process, are you, Vic? So. No, no, you're not. But it should be a friendly business transaction in a way. Ideally, your spokesperson will get the name in and it may or may not be left in the interview, but you can only try. And if you repeat it more than once, you've got more chance. As long as you don't repeat it every sentence, because then the <laughs> the journalist is going to get fed up and edit out the whole interview. <laughs> yeah, completely. Because it'll yeah. sound like a free advert. Oliver has said, when is it okay, stroke not okay, to ask the producer to give you questions in advance so that you can prep your spokesperson? I would say give it a go, Oliver. As a journalist, I get asked all the time and we don't have to tell you what the questions are. Often we haven't decided, i.e. we don't know when you ask us. We haven't done that yet. But uh, we don't have to tell you the questions. But what we will do as journalists is tell you the sort of ballpark area that we're going to be talking about. Because obviously we want the interview to go well and we want our guest your spokesperson to know which area we're going to be focusing on so it's worth an ask and you should be able to get an idea of the subjects but you won't get an exact script sometimes you're lucky some organizations do do that but as a general rule you wouldn't expect to get all the questions in advance but you could get a rough idea it's different in different countries as well so it's important to really understand your media landscape and know what to expect some countries it is kind of commonplace that you might get the questions in advance so make sure you're familiar with that there is also a big risk though in believing that you know what the questions are going to be in advance because it prevents you from preparing for the other questions and also I have come across situations in the past where I know that a journalist has provided the questions to the spokespeople or at least said my first questions are going to be this and then when the first question isn't that 
it can really kind of throw the spokesperson off guard. That's really true. And things do change. The conversation changes, the hook of the story, the landscape changes around it. It will be a conversation. So you wouldn't want necessarily just a list of questions to be asked and answered because that's not a great interview. So if the conversation ebbs and flows, your spokesperson should be prepared for that without being diverted too far off message. And again, as James mentioned, there are techniques that we can show you that will help you not to be diverted away from what you need to talk about to stay in control of the interview. And definitely when it comes to broadcast, you know, talking about all of the things that could change is that especially if you were doing a live broadcast, for example, Vic, you might have the producer in your ear saying, actually, we've only got 30 seconds for this now, not 45 at which point you might drop your first question and go straight to your second question. Yeah, so, that happens all the time. Yeah. And sometimes a guest either side of your interview goes down, so you have to keep talking. So yeah. you've suddenly got to think of more questions uh, and throw in more conversations, so that can happen as well. And obviously those challenging questions, there'll always be a few of those sneaked in, and we probably won't tell you about those in advance either. <laughs> <laughs> no, completely. Mahama, and I hope I've pronounced that right, that correctly. Apologies if I've not. How do I secure US broadcast media appointments when I operate in the Middle East? Yeah, that's a really tough one, isn't it? But I think the fundamentals, regardless of what country you're pitching your stories to, remain the same, which are to make sure you've done thorough research on the audience, as in both sets of audience. So your journalist's audience as well as on your journalist as well. And also that media organization, how do they operate? Is it more appropriate for you to be pitching to broadcast assistants or producers or directly to the journalist? Do they use freelancers? Do you go out to freelancers in the hope that they're better placed to be able to pitch that story in almost on your behalf where you're giving them a freelancer a story and then they're selling it into the news organization, so to speak. But the fundamentals remain the same about, as Vic said in response to, I believe it was the first question, about getting a really strong story, making sure that you've got a good spokesperson, making sure you've got a good case study, and making sure you understand that audience. Yeah, yeah. Read the publication that you're thinking of pitching to, you know, get across the broadcast media, listen, watch, so that you know a bit about what kind of stories they're interested in, and most importantly, who watches, listens, and reads, so that you know which your audience is. Yes, it's all about your research, isn't it? One of my favourite words when it comes to research of media is reverse engineering. That is one of your favourite phrases. (laughs) It it is one of my favourite phrases, isn't it? (laughs) Reverse engineer the broadcast media, and uh, that will give you some real clues as to the type of stories that they're going to be interested in. The other thing I'd say is just if you've got the budget, obviously secure some professional help locally. Find a PR agency that you can work with that can maybe help you. But obviously, it depends upon the size of your organisation and what sort of budget you've got available. But that could definitely, definitely help you. Question here from Liz. If you're at the beginning of your company's PR journey, how do you start building relationships with the right journalists at the right media? And would Media First recommend using an established PR company or bringing it all in-house? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And and I've met corporations that have got rid of their big name PR companies because it was just too impersonal and they brought it in-house. They had to restructure things a bit, but they found that way it was more personal and there was more impetus. It just made more sense for that particular company. But I guess it depends as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And 
I think regardless of whether or not you're working with a PR agency, whether it's a small PR agency or a large PR agency, it's really important that you've got the skills in-house to be able to really sense check the work that they're doing and quality check the work that they're doing. Otherwise, you could be quite exposed. With any form of outsourcing, I think you have to have a certain level of knowledge so that you can check whether or not what they're saying is good, you actually believe is good. So there's some courses that we've done in the past where we've helped people when they've been selecting PR agencies and also managing PR agencies, how you can manage that relationship. Because sometimes, and it does happen, you might have a PR agency pitch to you and you have the best people in the agency who come to your door and you know present to you and say, this is what you're going to get. But actually, when it comes down to it, the people who are doing the work tend to be the more junior people. And it's really important for you to have those relationships across the board. And just because they are more junior doesn't mean they're not going to be as successful. But it's important for you to understand exactly who you're going to be working with, I would say. Lots of stuff there to kind of get involved in, but make sure you've got some skills in-house, someone who can deal with that. I don't think you can outsource the whole PR or comms function. I think that would be very dangerous for an organisation to do that. Abdullah has said, writing many articles can be hard, but what's harder is to make them reach the target audience. Please let me know if you have any tips that can help me in my career. Thank you for your time. So not necessarily a broadcast-related question, but we'll squeeze it in here anyhow. Yeah, Vic, what are your first thoughts? Well, you know, as a journalist, I've had uh, people send me complete articles, assuming that they are so perfectly formed that they will be published as they are. And that never happens. So I would say, Abdullah, just hold back writing your article. Now, it probably is a perfectly great piece of writing, but it may not fit exactly. And, And most publications will use their own writers. So they'll maybe paraphrase what you've said there's a bit of a difference between getting published and getting your article, your story into the publication. So you're better off to pitch the idea and see if that gets a little bit of traction before actually writing out the whole thing, which probably won't even be read past the second paragraph because that's simply not how most publications do it. Unless you know of one that does accept direct submissions, you may have something in mind, but I would still try and speak to someone first, run the idea past them and see if that gains a bit of traction and then start from there, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I agree completely. And that's the same if you're looking to get published yourself as an author or whether or not you're looking to promote your business with a piece of thought leadership or something like that. But you can definitely just run a synopsis past a publication and just go, look, this is my opening paragraph of what my story is going to be. And then I'm going to go on to cover these four bullet points, for example. In terms of if you want to become a published author and let's say you're writing for magazines or newspapers or trade magazines, whatever it might be, or online publications, you can often find out whether or not they use freelancers just by looking at the stand first, which is where you've got the list of all the authors and things. So have a look at that and see who's involved, whether or not they do use freelancers. You can also spot them just by looking at the bylines of pieces if there's someone's written something and you jump to the front and they're not a staff writer chances are they're a freelancer so you might stand a chance and try and make some contacts as well yeah. so that you've got someone that you can address by name someone that you can email phone or whatever you know try and do a bit of networking meet some people run your ideas by them so they know even who you are or you can even refer to a meeting just so that you've made that initial face-to-face contact yeah definitely jump on linkedin linkedin is your friend 
Patricia says, I get very nervous during presentations, interviews on camera, and I'm always scared of forgetting everything I wanted to say. Any tips on how to avoid this? What an honest person. Thank you for your honesty, Patricia. Look, you're not alone. Everybody, everybody gets nervous on camera and forgets what they're going to say because we're human beings. We're not robots and you don't have to be word perfect and you won't be. But the beautiful thing is no one will know because no one knows what you didn't say. They only know what you did say. So... Don't worry about the bits you miss out. On all our courses, we say come up with one key message and an example to support it, which would be a human example, a case study. And if you can get those two elements in to your first answer, then you're on solid ground. It's a good place to start. But otherwise, just let it happen. And if it doesn't quite go as well as you'd hoped, then probably... It went nearly as well as you hoped, and that's good enough. And as I say, you know, we won't know what you didn't say. But practicing, practicing out loud so that you can hit those points that you want to hit will help. Yeah, definitely. And I think also make sure you've allowed yourself plenty of time to arrive wherever it is that you're doing the interview. Get those basics right. Make sure you've really given yourself time to be able to do that. Allow more time in your day. Don't cram your day full of meetings and then an interview. The other thing Vic made a really interesting point is that we won't know what it was that you were going to tell us. So one thing that I sometimes see people do or hear people doing is they say, there are three really important points that I need to make here. And they get to the second point and they deliver that. And the third one, they're like, and what was the third one? What was the third one? So just try not to do things like that. Try not to tease ahead to how many points there are and things and things. Also, a list of things is just the worst kind of interview. Nobody just wants to listen to you reel off a list of when someone says to me, well, there are seven pillars. I'm just like, oh, right. No, no, let's start again. (laughs) You know, one key message, one example. Seven pillars just means that, you know, that when you get into the editing suite, you can fast forward at least 70 seconds to lose all of the pillars. (laughs) Exactly. going to get them all all into the article or on air at all but if you are nervous beforehand and everybody is and you need that energy that adrenaline do a bit of slow breathing just breathe in and out slowly several times shake your arms hands shoulders give yourself a bit of time just to have a sip of water it does work and just remember that actually the adrenaline is really useful and you might only have 90 seconds on air it'll go quickly So just remember what's important and put that first. And uh, good luck. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, But just keep practicing. Ultimately, Patricia, you know, do more of it. Push yourself to do more of it. And these types of things that I'm doing with Vic here, for example, if you can do that with a colleague, then that's really going to help you. And the more you do, the more relaxed you will become, for sure. So you can overcome it. Interestingly, a lot of radio journalists are introverts, And if you put them in a room full of hundreds of people and they can actually see their faces, you know, that might freak them out. Definitely be overcome. Definitely something you should just work on. Celebrate the wins as well, Patricia. Find out the things you were good at. And celebrate just having got through it. It's not easy. It's really not easy. (laughs) Sometimes that's as good as it gets and that's enough. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Ken, our final question is from Ken. He said, interesting to know what Victoria thinks about People desiring to leverage broadcast media interviews, should they prepare when the agency or company or product they represent has recently suffered from a deservedly negative reputation and they want, stroke, need or are told 
to turn that around. So let me just paraphrase that a little. So something's gone wrong in your organization. Should you continue to do broadcast interviews? And the answer is yes, mm-hmm. because if something does go wrong, and we, we have a lot of courses at Media First, we spend whole days working through what to do in a crisis, which is what Ken's talking about here. And the best thing is to do some kind of response rather than hide, because you can't hide forever and it looks bad. So you do need time to formulate your response, of course, and you need a crisis strategy in place. And these are all things that we help with. But yeah, Ken, absolutely. Once your organization's ready, and that should be really within the hour, to be honest, you should start to think about your response to the media and deliver it. Yeah. And there are all different kinds of ways you can do that, of course. And that's really good advice there from Vic in terms of if you've got a, in the heat of the crisis, you know, getting that response out there. If, Ken, just in case you are talking about, should you be proactively putting out positive news stories when you've got a bad reputation, a crisis has gone through? Yeah, again, you you know, you have to do that. You have to rebuild your reputation. And one way of doing that is through positive PR. The thing I would say is that that can be really hard when you've not been known for doing positive PR before the crisis happened, which is yet another reason why an organisation should be doing positive PR all the way through. It sounds much more genuine when you kind of come out the other side and you're saying, look, we're aware this has happened, but there's still all this amazing stuff that we're doing. At the same time, James, though, don't you think that you have to own it? Oh, 100%. It's not a, a sort of situation that you can hope to win. All you can hope to do is to be heard. Yeah. And if you can show some compassion and some understanding and tell people about what you're going to do about the problem... Mm. That will go some way towards reassuring people. But if something goes wrong, you you need to recognise it, maybe even apologise, own it before moving on to... Oh, 100%. Doing positive PR has to be the last part of your crisis comm strategy. You should definitely not be doing positive PR during a crisis. And that includes removing your standard social media posts that might be automated in the background by your social media team. If you're in a crisis, those all need to be paused and you need to focus on that crisis. And as Vic says, show compassion and figure out exactly what's gone wrong and how you're going to resolve that. And decide how you're going to broadcast it, if Mm. you're going to broadcast it, whether you're going to put something on social media, hold a news conference, do an interview. All these things need to be figured out with you and your team. A lot to be considered when it comes to crisis management, for sure. And it's different for each organisation, but uh, I hope that's helped. Um, So, Vic, that is the end of our questions. Thank you very much to all of the guys who submitted questions. We really appreciate it. If you're part of the Media Team Academy, hopefully you'll be able to join us on the next masterclasses. We run one a month for the Media Team Academy members. And if you're not a member of the Media Team Academy, then why not? Go and find out more about it. But we do do other free webinars and podcasts. So by all means, jump in and have a listen and have a watch and watch back and find our eBooks and sign up to our blogs and all of the other amazing things that we do here at Media First. Vic, thank you ever so much for joining me on this. Um, Thanks for all the questions, guys. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. We look forward to seeing you on the next one.